0: All right, Good evening. Good to see everybody here this evening. Good to see you guys coming back out. It's been a long day. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but I got up earlier this morning. I was here at eight thirty this morning. We ate some pancakes. We had Sunday school. We had service. Uh, we were here till and normally that's what we do. We stayed about one thirty today, and then you get home after a day like that. And like Roger said, it turns into nap thirty. Uh, that's that's and that's what I hit. I hit hard this evening when I got to that couch and. It was hard to get back up and come to church tonight, but I'm glad that I got up. I'm glad you guys are here, and we get to open up the Word of God again tonight. It is the Lord's Day. We spend it together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're almost there. We've almost crossed the finish line of 1 Timothy. We've been in 1 Timothy, I think, since the first week of September. That's about eight months that we've been covering this great book. We're coming to the end. I think we have two left. This one, and if I can do it, one more uh, not next week, that's Mother's Day, but the week after. So we'll finish it up in the next couple weeks. For me, it's like a great TV show uh, that you, you get to the end of it and you only have two episodes left and you really don't want it to end. You want to turn around, rewind it, and start it all over and, and act like you've never seen it before. That's how I am with First Timothy. I've loved our study here. I don't want it to end. If I didn't have to get through it, I'd be preaching one or two verses at a time just to stay in it. Uh, But I know we've got to get through it. We've got to move on. And we come tonight to verse 11. And this is probably the most personal part of the entire letter. Uh, We started in verse 1. Now we've come back all the way to the end. And now he says this at the end. He says, but thou, talking personally to Timothy. It's like he's been talking in general before this, but now he takes his finger and he points at Timothy, and he says, but you, Timothy, talking directly to him. Not necessarily about the church, but about you, Timothy, This is what I want of you. And he he tells him very directly here what he needs to be to be a man of God. You be a man of God. That's what he says here. And and I I take this as if he's almost even pointing at me. Josh, thou, Josh, be a man of God. And he gives us here in this passage, or gives Timothy, gives me, gives us, four distinguishing marks of a man of God. Uh, This would be not only a man of God, but a woman of God. This should be true of all of us. So we need to look at this, how to spot a man of God, how to find a man of God, four distinguishing marks you'll find in these verses. So let's look at it, let's stand together, and this is an easy outline, I'm going to say this several times tonight, this is the exact outline that I have seen in my study all the way back to, from uh, Charles Spurgeon would use this outline, it's so easy, to now t- to me using it, and I'm putting myself in Charles Spurgeon's category, so... Uh, We're going to look at verse 11. You'll see the outline flows real well. Verse 11. He says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. Fight to the good fight of faith. Lay hold, grab on to eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who, before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession, that thou, there it is again, the finger pointing right at Timothy, that you keep the commandments, without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to him to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Great passage for us to study tonight as we see the marks of a man of God, Uh, how to find a man of God. So let's pray together and we'll study these, these verses. Father, we... Thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the long extended study that we've had in First Timothy. It's been good for us. It's been good for me. Uh, if I could go back 12 years when I first got to this church, I would have started here on Sunday nights. Here's what a church ought to be. Here's what a man of God ought to be. So God, I pray that you'd help us to learn it tonight. Help me to be these things. I want to be a, a true man of God. I want the men in this church to be true men of God. We're living, God, in an age where men aren't men. They may claim to be, but they're not acting like true men. Help us have men like this. And women like this who will do these same things, have these distinguishing marks on their lives. Help us not only to see and to know what a man of God looks like, but help us to be this. And help me to teach it well tonight, please, so that people can understand exactly what it means to be a man or a woman of God. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You'd like to raise your hand, but I want you to think, if any of you guys have ever, or or ever remember, uh, growing up and going into a doctor's office and sitting in the waiting room and looking down at the table, and when you look down at the table, there's going to be magazines everywhere, uh, most of them 5, 6, 7, 10, 15 years old. And and you look down and, and, and you start looking through them because you know you're going to be there for a while. I remember this as a kid. And you finally separate the magazines and you pull out this book, And the cover of the book says, Where's Waldo? One of my favorite things about going to the doctor, maybe the only thing I liked about going to the doctor, was looking at the book, Where's Waldo? And you'd open it up and there'd be a scene there of all kinds of people, a crowd of people, whether it was a a beach scene or a city scene or a country scene or a concert scene. and, And it's full of people and you're looking for one small little character named Waldo. He had the hat on, he had the striped shirt, he had those big rimmed glasses and you spend your entire time in the waiting room looking through there trying to spot, trying to find Waldo. And it was hard. Sometimes while I'm waiting I would only work on one page and I'd look at my mom and say, where I can't find Waldo? But I think it's even harder in our day. You say, why are you telling us this? I think it's easier to find Waldo than it is to find a man of God today. I think there's a lot of people who call themselves men of God or a woman of God, they'll say, and when you say man of God, this is what it means. You'll say you represent God You'll say that you speak on behalf of God, that you are a mouthpiece for God. That's what it means to be a man of God, that you stand up and you are the mouthpiece for speaking on behalf of God, that you stand and represent God, that you serve God, that you belong to God, that you're devoted to God, that you're sent by God, that you're called out by God to do a certain task, that you are called a man of God. Uh, John the Baptist, it was said of him that he was a man sent by God named John. I think that, that that's what, that when God calls a man, you are a man sent by God named Josh or named John or named anybody. You are a representative, a mouthpiece of God. They call these men reverend. They call them pastor or preacher or minister. But my question is, all these men who call themselves men of God, are they really? All these reverends and ministers and pastors and preachers and teachers who would describe themselves as men of God, how do we know if they really are? How do you know if the man standing up behind the pulpit on, on Sunday and preaching to you, saying he's a mouthpiece for God, how do you know if he's truly a man of God or not? And that's what we have in front of us tonight. This is how you know. You can't just take somebody's word for it. You have to know how to spot a man of God. You need a description. You need some way to help us out. And in these verses, you get to see what a real man of God looks like. How he acts. What he does. This is a picture of a man of God. Paul here in verse 11 is changing direction. He says, but thou. Again, in contrast with what he's been saying in the previous verses. Verses 3-10, through he's talking about false teachers. These are not men of God. You need to understand that. These are men of the devil. These are men with corrupt doctrine and worldly lifestyles. And he's saying, those men are not men of God, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. Here's what's expected of you. Men, real men don't do what verses 3-10 through says. Real men does what verses 11-16 through says. So we're not that, we are this. And he says, but you, Timothy, O man of God... And if that wouldn't grab Timothy's attention, I don't know what would. To be called by Paul, a man of God. The only time, the only person called a man of God in the entire New Testament is Timothy. In the Old Testament it was said of Moses, David, Samuel, Elijah, Elijah. There was a long line of being called the men of God. But you get to the New Testament and there's only one and it's Timothy. What a privilege. It's like that would stand out above everything that Timothy would be reading as he's reading this letter. He'd be, uh, for chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6 at the beginning, and then here, but you, O man of God, he's calling me a man of God? Wow. So he puts Timothy in that line with Moses and David and Elijah and Samuel and Elijah says, you have to act like a man of God. You have to be a man of God. And as God's man, here's what you are. Four distinguishing marks. Four features. These four things are how you spot a man of God. These four things set a man apart. These four four characteristics would set Timothy apart. These four things would set me apart. These four things would set you apart. These four things would set kids in, in school apart. If you go to your high school, if you do these four things, you would be so different than everybody else in your high school. You do these four things and you go to college, you will be so different than everybody else at college. If you go to work on, on Monday and you're these four things, you'll be set apart as a man or a woman of God. If we walk through life and do these four things, we'll stand out as a man or a woman of God. So we're going to look at these four things I said that the outline is simple, used by every preacher from Charles Spurgeon to Joshua Tompkins. (laughs) So let's look at these four characteristics, four distinguishing marks, how to find a true man of God. Number one, a man of God is a fleeing man. You see that there? I'm I'm going to use the words that's used in the passage. I think Paul wants me to alliterate this outline. (laughs) But thou, O man of God, flee these things. So the first one is you know a man of God by what he flees from. That's what it's talking about. Fleeing. That's a, it's an easy word. You, you guys should know what it means to flee away from something. It, the word in the, in, in the Greek would be fuego. It's a word where we get the word fugitive. Someone who's on the run. Someone who's running away from something dangerous. And it's an active, present tense. It means he's continuously running. He's actively fleeing. This is, you never stop doing this. It's not a one-time thing that you run at one point in your life. You run from it. No, this is you're constantly, always running from something. A man of God is always fleeing, running from something. That's what it says here. This is long-term. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You say, well, what is this man of God running from? Look at the the passage. He tells us what to run from. Verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. You say, that doesn't help us any. What are these things? Well, if you want to find out what these things are, you've got to go back to what he just got done talking about in verses 3-10. through You flee from the things that characterized the life of false teachers. Don't you dare do what they were doing. We can go back, and I just want to trace it. You can go back to verse 10. These false teachers loved money. Don't you dare love money like they loved money. Don't you dare put money as the thing that you're after in life. Run from that. Don't run to money. Run from that desire. You can go back even further. Verses 4 and 5 talks about perverse disputings. Men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. You can go back to verse 3. That they were teaching unwholesome words. Run from false teaching. Run from unwholesome words. Run from the love of money. And that's not just me that I need to keep myself always running from the love of money. Always running from, from these false teachings, these worldly ideas. Run away from those things. Don't let my ministry be motivated by money and my life defined by these false ideas. Run from that. But you, listen to this. If you go into a church and it's full of these false ideas and a man who's motivated by money, you run from it as fast as you can. Don't you dare go to a church that's full of false teaching. Don't you dare listen to a man who's not going to teach you wholesome words about Jesus Christ. Don't you dare go to a church that's full of prosperity preaching who's all about the money. Don't you dare go to a church that's full of, of all these false ideas about who Jesus is. Don't sit there. Don't take your family there. You get up, pack your things, and run as fast as you can. Flee from these things. There's too many people sitting in a church just because they've always been there. Flee these things. I can give you more. I looked up that word flee. I just want to see what else you flee from. Second 2 Timothy 2:22 says flee youthful lusts. Flee childishness is what that is. First Corinthians 6:18 flee sexual sin. First 1 Corinthians 10:14 flee idolatry. Turn your backs on these things. Flee away from sin. That's, that's what he's saying there. You need to be like Joseph, who uh, Potiphar's wife wanted to, to sleep with him, and he turned his back and ran as as fast as he could away from her. She was grabbing at his coat as he was running away. He, fl- he was fleeing from sin. Don't be like David who saw Bathsheba on the rooftop. He should have turned and run as fast as he could away from that. Instead, he run as fast as he could towards that. Men of God are known by what they flee from. A man of God flees sin. Runs from it like it's chasing you because it is. Runs from it like it's dangerous. Like it is. Runs from it like it's a bear. Not like it's a puppy dog. There's too many Christians in churches that instead of running from sin, they play with it and pet it like it's some little toy puppy. You need to see sin as a roaring bear that's trying to eat you alive and you run from it as fast as you can. This is for all of us. If we want to call ourselves men and women of God, we will be known by what we run from. I'm running from sin, not to sin. I'm running as fast as I can from false ideas, from false teaching, from materialism, from all the things that are out there trying to to grab a hold of me. I'm always on the run. We must always be running from sin. I'm not turning to sin on TV. I'm turning from sin on TV. I'm not running to bad friends. I'm running away from bad friends. Teenagers need to know that. You don't run to the bad crowd. You run from the bad crowd. Flee those things. I'm fleeing from bad influences. I'm fleeing from bad churches. I'm fleeing from bad preachers. I'm fleeing from bad teachers and bad books. Stay away from these things. Number two. A man of God is known for what he flees from. But also a man of God is known for what he follows. He's a following man. Look what it says. I don't even have to make these things up. When I read this this week, I thought that outline just makes itself. Flee these things and follow after righteousness. Do you see that? Here's that word follow. It's a a positive side. If we're running from sin, then we're going to run after something else. Here's the word follow. I love this word. I told you what the word flee means. I spend my, my, my week studying words. This word follow means to pursue. If you look it up, it means to take flight. It means to take off. It's like a hound running after a fox. I liked that description so much, I drew a picture of the fox and the hound on my notes right here. <laughs> I sent it to staff this week. She said, you need to spend more time studying, less time drawing. I'll show it to you after church. <laughs> it's like a hound chasing a fox. Again, it's it's a continuous action. We are always running from something, sin, and after something, righteousness. It shows a man of God is a running man. Pursuing, chasing, tracking, hunting. Always on the road, going in the, the right direction, not the, not the wrong direction. I believe this, this is what it means to follow Christ. Is that we are ru- running away from something and running to something else. So what are we running after? It says there, follow after. So what, what are we following after? He gives a list here. And, then, and a lot of people say they're following Christ. You hear that all the time. I'm a follower. I'm a follower. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not following the world. I'm following Christ. Are you a follower? A follower of Jesus? You you hear that all the time. But what does it really mean to follow? There's a lot of people that say they're following, but they're just it's an aimless following. They have no idea where they're going or what they're doing. Here he gives us here's what you follow when you follow Jesus. He gives us a list. I love this list. Six things that we are to follow after, like a. A hound chasing a fox. Again, I'll show you the picture. It's a great picture of a a hound dog. Look what it says. Follow. Follow after, run after, strive after, hunt. Chase it down. Do everything in your power to get a hold of this. Again, this is in contrast with the false teachers who were doing everything they could to chase money. We don't chase money. We chase righteousness. Simply doing what's right. We're always after doing what God wants us to do. We're always trying to do the right thing. We're following after God's standard. We're doing what honors God. In all of our actions, I want to do what's right in God's eyes. In everything that we say, we're doing what's right in God's eyes. In our conduct, we're doing what's right in God's eyes. We open up the Bible and we say, what's right? And we do what's right. How do I handle the situation? In the right way. In the righteous way. I want to live a righteous life. How can I be a righteous husband and a righteous father and a righteous pastor? And how can we be a a righteous church doing things God's way? We chase that. Second, we follow after godliness. If righteousness is is the action, godliness is the heart. This is the inside. This is what creates the outside. That our, our godly heart creates our righteous action. I'll say this and I'll move on. There's do's and don'ts in the Christian life. There's churches today who hate the idea of do's and don'ts in the Christian life. There's do's and don'ts in in everything. Aren't you glad there's do's and don'ts in in surgery? The surgeons go in there and say, I can just do whatever I want to do. There's no do's or don'ts. No, there's things you do and there's things you don't do. I'm glad a surgeon don't go in there and say, "Eh, I really don't need to wash my hands today. (laughs) Who needs a mask? I don't need these things. There's do's and there's don'ts. There's do's and there don'ts on the road. Teaching Grace to go right now how to drive. Do this, don't do that. But in Christianity today, there seems like there's an idea of just live the life. There's no real do's or don'ts. It's legalism if you tell me not, to do some things and to not do others. But here we have do's and don'ts. He says follow after righteousness and godliness. Follow after faith. Faith is simply... Trust. I'm following after a confident trust in God in every area of my life. That's what it says. A confident trust that God's in control. That he's working it out. That his word is true. His ways are the best ways. That I can rest at night and and, and and say, I, I trust God. I, I'm trusting in, in the sovereignty of God, which is what I, I lay my head down on every single night. That's the, the confident trust that I can sleep peacefully every night. That's what I'm following after. You say, I don't have that yet. I don't either. either. So we follow after it. Chase it till you get it. And then it says love. That's easy. That's just a simple way of saying That I live a life that's not about me. I live a life that's love for God and love for neighbor. That I don't live a life that's totally self-consumed with me and mine. Patience. I like that word. Every one of these words I've tried to define simply. This word would be simply the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) I even drew a picture of the Energizer Bunny in my nose. Steph said, more study, less drawing. I really did. You, you can even see the Energizer bunny in my nose. It's a great picture. That word patience, that's what it means. It means that you go on and on and on and on and you never give up. You never let up. It's determination. It's unwavering. It's perseverance. It's uh, the word grit. It's staying power. It's it's loyalty. That you're the type of person who just won't quit. When everybody else walks away, when everybody else throws in the towel, when everybody else waves the white flag, you're still the one that's standing there. You have patience. You have grit. you have your long-suffering. You're going to hang in there. You're in there for the long haul. You're not buying a U-Haul. Don't pray for patience. Follow after patience. Go after it. You say, I'm I'm apt to give up and and not be patient. Follow after it until you get it. We may spend the rest of our lives following after, trying to be patient and long-suffering. Following after, trying to be more loving. Last one. Meekness. You see there. He says, follow after Righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. That word is under control. That you're tender and gentle. You have strength but it's under complete and total control. He shows here that's the pursuit of our lives. These things. I think we need to put these things on our fridge. These things in our car. This is what I want every day. This is what I'm after every day. This is what I'm pursuing every day. This is the desire of my life. This is what the motivation of my life is. Because all six of these things describe a Christ-like character. That all we want is to be more like Christ. And you know what Christ was like? He was righteous and godly, faithful, loving, patient, and meek. And that's what we want to be. That's what a man of God looks like. Those six qualities. The problem is we get that backwards and we're chasing the evil things and fleeing from the godly things. A real man or woman of God will flee from the evil things and chase the right things. So there's our first two points. Making good time. A man of God will flee these things and follow after these things. Number three, I think you guys can tell what the next one is. If I've got a man of God is known for what he flees from and what he follows after, the next is what he fights for. You see that? Verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. I like that word fight. You guys want me to describe to you what fight is now? This is this is a great word too. It's agonism. I think I've told you this word before. Agonisama. It's where we get the word agony. This is an, an intense fight. This is a a tough fight. This is a, a bloody fight. This would describe somebody uh and not like uh, I ain't gonna go there. Not like not like Will Smith smacking that guy on, on the stage. This would describe a boxer. This would describe a wrestler. This would describe a soldier. This would describe a, a bloody, intense fight. Uh, in those days, boxers would put on gloves on the inside. it would be fur lined and soft on the outside. it'd be iron and lead and glass, and that 's the kind of boxing they did. It wasn't the boxing of our day. I mean These guys were beating each other bloody and that that's a fight that he's telling us that we 've got to be involved in. A real man will fight. there's a fight in the Christian life. You need you a pastor who's willing to fight for some things. You don't need your pastor who's always laying down. You don't need a, you know, a pastor who's rolling over. You need a pastor who's willing to fight the good fight. You need a husband who's going to fight. You need a you need a, 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 a woman, a wife who's willing to fight. This is a, a man or a woman of God who's willing to fight. You say, fight for what? <laughs> That's the, wisdom knows what to fight for. Look what it says. Fight the good fight, a noble fight. What's the noble fight? It's the fight of faith. The most noble thing that we can fight for is for our faith. And it seems to be the one thing that most people won't fight for. They'll tell you when you go and talk to your family, you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner, don't talk about faith and don't talk about politics because it's liable to end up into, likely to end up into a fight. So just stay away from those things. I'll stay away from the politics if I have to, but I'm going to stand up for the faith. I don't think I should have to back down for the faith. I think the faith is the one thing that we all ought to be willing to fight for. Not bow down. We're living in an age where they don't want us to fight for the faith. This is the faith. This is what Jude 3 says. The faith once and for all delivered unto the saints. This is the body of truth that we believe. This is our doctrine. This is our theology. This is our our teaching. This is the gospel. We ought to be willing, as men and women of God, to put up our dukes and fight for the faith. If you don't believe it, they're coming for the faith in our culture today. The battlefield is over what we believe. And we must be willing and we must be able. I want to be training men in this church who are able to stand up and go toe-to-toe with anybody in a fight for the faith. That's what we need. I want my kids to be able to, to, to fight for the faith. I, I don't mean that we physically get violent because I think the fight isn't with our fists. It's with our mind and it's with our words. And we need to be able to, to know what we believe and to defend what we believe against everything that's out there. We gotta be fighters. That's what we gotta do. I want my kids when they stand up and somebody comes up to them and say, do you really believe that? You better believe I believe that. Fight for the faith. Fight for what you believe in. It's good to fight and you got to for your wife and for your kids and for your country. But I think that the most noble fight we can fight is for our faith. The world is full of air. We've got to fight for the truth. Jesus did. Look at verse 13. He gives us an example of someone who fought for the faith. In verse 13 he says, look at Jesus Christ. Who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. He stood up for what he believed. In front of great opposition. Jesus fought for the faith. You know who else did? Paul did. Second, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul did the same thing. He said in, in verse, where's it at? Now in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. All the way to the end of his life, he fought for the faith. Timothy, now it's your turn. It's like he's handing it over. Here's the gloves. It's now your turn to fight They're always passing it down a generation. I can follow it throughout history. Timothy did. Martin Luther did. What a fight Martin Luther put up. It was full of air, full of darkness. And Martin Luther put up a fight. His fight was better than the Thrilla in Manila. It was Luther at Worms. The title he gave it was the Contramundum, Me Against the World. And Martin Luther won. They laid down all of his books in front of him and said, will you recant? And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Help me, God. What a fight. Martin Luther was a fighting man. Timothy, you have to be a fighting man. Paul was a fighting man. Jonathan Edwards was a fighting man. They run him out of his church because he was fighting over the Lord's table. This is what's true about the Lord's table. Today we just say, Ah, oh, it ain't that big a deal.
1: It ain't that big a deal. Let it go,
0: Jonathan Edwards. He stood up and said, I cannot let it go. Charles Spurgeon was a fighting man. There was a downgrade in his day. I've told you the story of Spurgeon standing up against the downgrade of his day when everybody else was on the slippery slope of, of doctrine and theology and belief. And Charles Stur- Spurgeon stood when nobody else would stand. And even his own family members turned their back on him. But Charles Spurgeon stood to fight the good fight. I think, I believe wholeheartedly that there's a man in Los Angeles, California right now named John MacArthur who's fighting for the faith standing up against all these things that's going on in our nation today, and he's got, it's almost contramundum, just like Martin Luther, everybody's attacking him, everybody's trying to bring him down, and he's saying, me and Jesus is the majority, and he's taking a stand, fighting for the faith. I think we're doing it here. If you'll follow our studies that we do, we take a stand where nobody else takes a stand. We fight where nobody else fights. It gets bloody. We get beaten. As Gracie was looking up on Google today all the, the, the reviews that our church has gotten over the past year. I didn't even realize we had that. But there's a review. And she looked at it, she's like, Dad, why is our review? Like in the threes. I was like, well, I, I don't know. They're leaving reviews on all these things that we're teaching. And one of the reviews was, there's nothing good there. Yeah. To you. You fight for the faith; it's going to get bloody. There's going to be people leave and get mad at you. It's going it's going to be bloody. And as he said in Hebrews, they haven't they haven't it hasn't been unto death yet. It's just words so far. We have to be willing to fight for the faith. If we don't fight, who will? We're in a fight over truth today, and if we don't stand up, who will? I know you got a lot of people who say a lot of things about this. Some refuse to fight. Some wave the white flag and they'll plant a a rainbow flag in its place. Others will say, Pastor, I'm with you. I've had people say that. Pastor, I'm with you. Our churches, we believe the same thing you believe. We're just not outspoken about it. We don't want to cause a trouble. We don't want to stir things up. I'm not willing to fight over it. But I say we must fight. Every generation has its fight. This is ours. And that's what a man of God does. He fights. Number four, and we'll close. You say, Josh, you ain't made it two and a half, one and a half verses yet. <laughs> Number four, and it'll cover all the way down to verse 16. You know a man of God by what he flees from, what he follows after, what he fights for, and who he's faithful to. Watch this. He says there in verse 12, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you've made you, you're called and you've professed a good profession before many witnesses. You say, what is that? He says, lay hold of takes. And that's, that's the word to, to grab on or to grasp with violence, to, to get a good grip on it. That's what he's saying. Lay hold of, grab onto, and what he's grabbing onto. It's like me when I I, I, I coach my kids playing baseball. Emma will get her little bat and she gets up there, and I will say, "Grab onto that thing! Don't you dare let go!" Some of those kids will swing, and that bat goes all the way downfield. You grab on, you don't let go. That's what he's saying here. And what you grab onto is eternal life, or two words that he said two times here: your profession has professed a good profession. Your profession of faith. Grab on to it. Grab on to this profession that you have. You with me? And he says that you made in front of many witnesses. So Timothy got up at some point and made a profession of faith before many witnesses. Maybe this is talking about his baptism when he went into the water and and he was baptized and brought back up and made a profession before many witnesses that, that Jesus was his Savior and Lord. He's saying you grab onto that profession and don't you dare let go of it. You be faithful to the profession you made all the way to the end. Because some had worn it off. Some had left the faith. Some were proving that they, they wasn't real at all. But Timothy, don't you dare let go of it. You be faithful unto your profession. Don't apostatize. Don't turn back. Don't let go. Don't deconstruct. Which is a word we're hearing more today. you be faithful to the end, he says. Watch this. How long? I give thee charge. I command you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. You say, why did he say that? Because you may lose your life for your profession. And you need to know you have a God who can resurrect you. Before God who quickens all things. And before Jesus Christ who stood before Pontius Pilate and made a good profession. Just like Jesus did, you do. It might get dangerous, it might get bloody, but you stand up under duress and don't you dare let up. And then he says, and you, verse 14, not just keep your profession, but watch this. Keep the commandment. I like that. So I'm grabbing hold of my profession and I'm not letting go. And I'm grabbing hold of the word of God, the commandment, that's what this is. He says you protect it, you guard it, you keep it pure, you keep it unquestionable, you don't let anybody ever doubt what God's Word says. You see that? Look at that, he says, and you keep this commandment. Keep it without spot, keep it unrebukable. Love that. Don't let anybody ever question it. I had a guy call me this week questioning the Bible. He doesn't go to church here, but he called me. He said, "I, I've been told about... These other books that should have been in the Bible. I've been told that that, that King James put things in there that he shouldn't have put in there. How do I know that the Bible is the Word of God? I said, how much time do you have? I'm not getting off the phone with you until you can say I have complete trust in this to be the Word of God. Don't let anybody ever make you question it. Don't let anybody ever make you doubt it. Don't let anybody uh, make it impure. That's what he's saying here. You hold on to it. And don't let go. And you do it, how long? Until Jesus comes back. You be faithful to your profession. I'm giving you some things here. A man of God will be faithful to his profession. A man of God will be faithful to the Word. A man of God will be faithful to God. All the way to the end. You say, where do you get faithful to God? Look what he says. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which in his times he shall show. And he gives us a description of God here. I think this is who we're faithful to. I think this is who has called us and who we speak for. He's giving us a reminder here at the end who God is. And I've got to take this. I I would have if if I I almost made this into a sermon all of its own. But he he gives a description of God here. I think it, it just flows. This is who we're faithful to. Who is the blessed and only potentate. Love that. You say, what's a potentate? He's a sovereign one. He is, and there's such richness in believing in the sovereignty of God. There's such rich, richness in knowing that God is the one who reigns. There's such richness and assurance in knowing that He's the one who's in complete control. That he is the one who has complete and and total authority over over all things. That he is, and it says, uh, over every king and and over every lord. That there's no competition, there's no rivals, that he's sitting on his throne in complete control at all times. And it says he is the blessed and only potentate. I like that word blessed. It means he is sitting on the throne. Not only is he sitting in complete control, but he's sitting happy and calm and satisfied. There is no, our king is sitting on the throne and there's no wringing of the hands, there's no sweating, there's no struggle, there's no worry, there's no anxiety. He's in complete control on his throne in heaven right now. Then he gives us another description. Not only is he the sovereign one, but he's the eternal one. You see that? who only hath immortality. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's, it, it basically means he is the deathless one. He's the only one who has no death in him. He's the one who, we said that is the one who gives life unto all things, not death. He's the inapproachable one. You, you, you keep going down through there. He's, he's, he who only, who only hath immortality, who dwells in the light which no man can approach unto, we forget this. Exodus thirty three, Moses said, I want to see your face, and he said, There ain't no way you're going to get to see my face. Almost with a with that same kind of kinda of a chuckle about it. If you saw my face you wouldn't survive it. There's no way you could see me. So what I'll do for you, Moses, is I'll hide you behind a cleft of a rock and as I pass by, I'll cover you with my hand. So he's got two coverings. He's behind the rock. He's got a hand covering his face. When I pass by, I'll take my hand and you'll see my backside. That's all you'll get, and it's not even that he saw any part of God. He just saw the, the the afterglow of God, the the plume of God, like a like an airplane in the sky. You don't see the airplane, you see the the smoke of the airplane. That's what he saw of God go by, and he come down from that mountain with a sunburn, just from the afterglow of God. It's like our sun. When you look out, we was at a baseball game yesterday and it was so sunny. And I have the palest kids in the world. And I knew, Steph wasn't there. If I let these kids get burnt, she'll kill me. And that's not even the sun, you know that? That's just a ray of the sun. That even sitting out in the sun, it'll burn you. Looking up into the sun, it'll blind you. Could you imagine approaching the sun? It'll destroy you. Now take it a step further with me. That's the sun. What about approaching the God who made that Son? You think you can stroll into heaven and not get totally consumed in the presence of Almighty God? That's the God who calls us. That's the God we're supposed to be faithful to. God made that Son. Pure and holy, transparent, purity. It would incinerate us to get even close to God. It says that He's he's the invisible one. (laughs) That no man has seen or can see. It's it's the same thing. that We cannot even see Him in His fullness. Get this, even in heaven, throughout all eternity, in glorified resurrection bodies, we cannot see the fullness of who God is. It would still destroy us what we'll see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ throughout eternity. It's pure mercy that God lets us know what we know about him. I think Paul here is saying, Timothy, thou man of God, this is who God is that you serve. This is who you are to be faithful to. This invisible, inapproachable, sovereign, eternal God. And he adds to this God, to this one and only God at the end. To him, he ends with praise. Paul does this a lot in his letters. He starts talking about God and by the time it's over, he's singing. I've told Brandon before, I think we need to switch our our order up of our service sometimes. We sing, then we preach. Sometimes I think we need to preach and hear about God and, and theology and doctrine and who he is. And then, now, we're ready to sing, right? We come straight into church and some of us don't feel like singing too much. We walk into church and it's like, I, 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 I had to eat ten pancakes before I got here this morning. Some of you guys were out there cooking on the grill. And you walk in here and it's all of a sudden, I need to start singing about victory in Jesus. I need to start singing, there is a fountain. I'm not ready for that. But then you get into a sermon and you, and you hear about the invisible one and the indescribable one and, and, the, and the inapproachable one and the sovereign one and, and the eternal one. And all of a sudden it's like, oh now, I've got something to, to sing about. That's what Paul does here. He, he, he starts talking about God and it's like, oh my, unto Him be great honor, respect, and power. I like that he starts giving praise. Not to some other God, but to the to this God. We have such a generic idea of who God is in our culture today. We have no idea who it is we worship. To this God. This description. The invisible, indescribable, unapproachable, sovereign, eternal God. Be honor and power. This is the one we worship. This is the one He's calling us to be faithful to. This is the one that a man of God belongs to. This is the one that, that a man of God represents. This is the one that a man of God speaks on behalf of. This is the one of or that, that a man of God is sent by. This is the God of the man of God. This is how serious it is to be a man of God or a woman of God. We don't take it lightly. We don't say it haphazardly. It is a big deal to be a man of God. It is a big deal to be a woman of God. Because that God is invisible, inapproachable, indescribable, eternal and sovereign. To Him be great praise and honor and power. And I think we'd all agree and say amen. There's another question. And I want to ask this. How many people do you know that it could be said he or she is a true man or woman of God? Based on this description and this description alone, how many can, you, how many do you know who are fleeing from sin, following after righteousness, fighting for the faith and faithful to God and His Word? How many do you know like that? I think we all should want to be like that. I think that should be the desire of all of our hearts. God, please make me this. That we should even put this outline down and say, I want to remember this outline. Because this is what I want to be. This is what I want to be before my kids. I, I, I pray it every single morning. God, I, I, I pray that my kids, and then I, it's the same prayer all the time. I want my kids to be saved. I want them to be strong in the word. That's, that's the second prayer that I pray for them as I leave the house every morning. I want them to be saved and I, and I go in depth with that. I want I want God to regenerate their hearts and I want them to, to, to put their faith in Him and I want them to lay hold on eternal life and, and never let it go. I know God keeps them, but I want them to stay true to their, to their profession that they made when they got into the baptistry. Four out of my five has been in the baptistry and they stood before a whole church of people and made a good profession and I don't want them to be true to that. I don't want them to, stray away I saw a pastor post a a message today he puts a picture of his daughter on there and he said pray for us he said she she strayed from the faith she won't take our calls she won't hear our pleas beautiful picture of a young girl My heart just sunk and I prayed for that girl and then I prayed for my kids don't let me ever be in that situation So God, save my kids. Let my kids be strong in Your Word. You know how they'll be strong? Teach them. So I pray that God help me to teach it to them. So that they'll know Your Word from Genesis to Revelation. And not just Your Word, but doctrine and theology and the faith and how it all comes together. But don't let it just be that I teach it to them, but help me be an example to them of someone who lives it out. Help me to be a man of God in front of my kids. We need this. We must be this. This is rare in our day. I ask that. How many do you know who are like this? And in your mind you're thinking, who's like this? Who do I know that's a true man of God or a true woman of God who's fleeing from sin and following after righteousness and fighting for the faith and faithful to their God all the way till Jesus comes back? Who do I know like that? So if you find a pastor like that, you better flock to his church and stay there. If you do, if your pastor's not like that, you better run to the hills. Find somebody else. We need men and women like this. I think this describes the men and women of Hebrews 11. The hall of faith. You know what these guys did? You know what they did? They f- were fleeing from sin. Following after righteousness, fighting for the faith, and faithful to their God all the way to the end. I want to take you back to 2 Timothy 4. I just want to read these words. And then I'll close. I was going to try to get you out of here at 7. It's 7.04. Should have spent more time studying, less time drawing. One of my favorite passages. I'll preach it. We're going to preach through 2 Timothy starting in September, somewhere around that. So I'll get to 2 Timothy 4, sometime in 2023. You think that will be about right? 20, 20, yeah, somewhere. Verse 1, I charge thee. And it's the same command that he gave Timothy in, in, in our passage. I charge thee, therefore, before God. Remember, it's the same thing, before God. Who gives life to all things? He's bringing God into this and the Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage, it was before the Lord Jesus Christ who stood and gave a profession before Pontius Pilate. And now it says before Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but will. But after their own lusts, they'll heap to to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. But Timothy, you, young man, watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. And he ends it with this. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. It's here. It's now. And I fought the good fight. I finished the course. And I kept the faith. And henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them that love is appearing. And I read that verse just to say, if you'll be faithful, if you'll fight, if you'll flee, if you'll follow. And you do it all the way up to the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's a reward for you waiting in that day when He comes back. We don't do it for the reward. We do it for the invisible, indescribable, eternal, sovereign God. But we know that He will reward any kind of struggle we have here with a reward when He comes back. That's good news. Yes. That's what Paul was telling Timothy there. They're going to kill me. Now it's your turn, and you be faithful till they kill you. <laughs> and on and on down the generations. And here we stand in our day. And I call everybody in this room today, over here, here, and here. Even those who watch here, you should be here. <laughs> I call you this day. Flee from sin. The world is running to sin. We flee it. Run as fast as you can from it. It will destroy you like it destroyed Judas. Follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. Make that the pursuit of your life, being like Christ. Fight for the faith. Let's not bow down. Let's not bend the knee. Let's fight for the faith. Let's ask God to help us to be faithful this day and every day until Jesus comes back to get us. That's my call to you tonight. Let's be men and women of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for this challenge to all of us here tonight. I want to be this. There's places here where I struggle, and I need to do better. Help me to do it. I want to be a man of God for this church, for my kids, for my wife, but most importantly for you. Help me to be that, and I pray that you would raise up in this church men and women of God who will do these things and will stand out. It'll be it'll distinguish us from everybody else in our schools, in our colleges, in our workplace. It'll even, it'll, it'll even make our church stand out. There's a church full of men and women of God. Please, God, let it be. Please. We thank you for the challenge of this passage, and we pray that you would help us to live it now. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.